Welcome, audience, to another edition of Overcome Out Loud with Charlie Smith. I'm so grateful to have you join us. This is a podcast that I have dedicated to sharing stories of of others that have overcome adversity in their lives to give people hope. So many suffer in silence uh, still today with worry, doubt, fear, insecurity, depression, anxiety, um, that I feel compelled to use the stories of my own overcoming and others to give you hope. And today, uh, on this episode, I'm really excited to have uh, back from our COVID kind of Zoom days, Allie B in studio. Hi, Allie. Hi, Charlie. Welcome to the Overcome Out Loud studio, and thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I feel so grateful to be here. Well, Allie is an uh, amazing friend. She's uh, I've actually been invited to speak when she was teaching at some of her classes about my journey through substance abuse. abuse. Uh, Allie is a health and fitness and mindset coach. Um, she's an incredible single mother of two, a professional woman. Uh, I call her M-, M cube. She is helping moms train their muscles and their mindset, uh, really detailed and extensive back in a background in certified athletic training, um, and has introduced me at, at actually some talks that I've given. And so, uh, here today to share her overcome story and I'm, you're an inspiration and thank you again for joining us. I'm looking forward to hearing your story today. Thank you. I feel so happy to be here, and and that is what I want to inspire others as well. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that people have gotten, I think all of our regular listeners are, are at some point in their life struggling with something. And so even just, you know, today I was on the phone with a young man who just said, you know, have you ever been depressed? You know, he just wanted to know that somebody had experienced what he was experiencing because he felt so unique and he felt so alone that that just that shared experience of oh okay you've been depressed and and how did you walk through that you know so it's it's powerful what we do and and so tell us a little bit about your upbringing I know especially for you and I think what's going to be important especially for the young women in in the audience uh, we've had some amazing powerful and inspirationally vulnerable and courageous women on uh, is really important especially those adolescent years but tell us a little bit about how you grew up Okay, so yeah, you know, they say it takes a village, right, yeah. to raise a child. And, and it's like, what if you don't have a village? And um, I didn't have that village is like, uh, my mom actually, and this is a big part of why I do what I do um, with moms taking care of themselves, because my mom didn't take care of herself. She was taking care of everybody else. And when I, it's a very long story, um, but basically when I was three years old, she had what you would call a nervous breakdown. And, you know, again, that long story short is it turned into, um, and here she, here's this woman who's taking care of herself and, and you know, should have, I, I actually wrote a book about this is like, if she was a celebrity, maybe she would have gone to a place to rest and all she needed was nutrition and, and support. And she got put into a hospital for the criminally insane. And she, from then on was in and out of hospitals my entire life with what, with mental illness. So I grew up with a mom who was, who had mental illness. And then my father got um, sick with cancer when I was 11 and he, he died when I was 13. And I had one brother who was developmentally disabled and had his own special needs. So I basically grew up um, feeling like I had no place in the world, that that I didn't belong. And, you know, we <laughs> grew up with basically the crazy house. So my house, you know, when my mom would get sick, 
we would call it sick. Um, you know, right. The, the you know, the ambulance, the police cars, the the, the fire trucks. Um, you know, she would come to school and and you know when she would get sick and get taken away in a straitjacket. So it was like it's really interesting for me now, with all the the talk with mental health now, and I you know this is going back four or five decades for me. I've always it's always been part of my life. So I feel like. You know, I grew up with so much shame and stigma that it, my mom was like my secret, you know, um, that, that you, you know, you don't want to talk about these things. So like when you talk about this boy who's calling you and wanting to just, you understand what I'm, what I'm going through? Yes. And, and so I love that we're having more conversations about that because when I grew up, it was just shame and stigma. And that's why I want to start sharing my story as well so that people can, can understand. Yeah, that's, I mean... There's a lot to unpack there because, you know, as a child, I think one of the most essential things we need is, is to feel safe, is to know that, A, our primary caregivers, you know, who, are, who bring us into this world, who are the only caregivers that we know at the time, are there to take care of us. And when they're not, it leaves us unsettled. It leaves us, you know, speaking from my own background of a different type of trauma experience, I think one of the things that I think people, Joel Lampagos, who was a, a guest on here, uh, his mother suffered from postpartum de depression and, and had a very bad uh, episode of postpartum de depression that left her very disconnected from him. And it was amazing for him to see that that was his trauma. Like he, people think of trauma as these major experiences, whether it's violent abuse or sexual abuse, but trauma is not those things. Trauma can be a mother not available for her daughter and and a father who you know is the only one there to take care of her who's not available. And so how did how did young Allie, um, what coping skills did you learn to deal with what was becoming, you call it the crazy house, but for a child, it's, it's an unsafe house. It's a, it's a house of dysregulation. It's a house of unpredictability. And that's what you experience. Is mom going to be home or is mom not going to be home? You know, I mean, these are all things that rip apart the, the very security blanket, no pun intended that we need as children. And so I'm assuming that, that you learned, some dishonesty, like not telling your secret was, was part of those coping skills. What other coping skills did, did you learn that, that people might relate to? Yeah, so it, it's so true what you're saying about the unpredictability because I still like am challenged by that today with people and relationships because of that is very true. Is exactly that is you, there's no unpredict, there's no prediction that, yeah, when, you know, when is mommy going to get sick again? And I started to like look for the signs of I started to know when that's happening ah. and I and I started to like you I just like would be waiting for it to happen as I started to grow up and and then yeah like you said and then my dad gets sick so it's like the healthy parent who who is there for me is now sick so it was just always the unpredictability of what's going to happen which I still work on today of not trusting and just you know not are people going to be the way they are and that sort of thing so for me um, luckily growing up where I grew up on Long Island, um, at the end and what brought me to California is, is after my father passed away and we moved here, but growing up on Long Island and gratefully I, my village was my friends and their families. So I had very close friends growing up, like through elementary school that, um, I would stay with them when my mom got sick and my dad was sick and that was my part of my village so gratefully that I had these wonderful friends and their families. And then for me, I think um, I talk about like when you don't have a village and this is what I like to teach people is you can create your village. Yeah. You can create your village. And 
there's a moment that I, I think I, I don't know if I told you about or I started to tell you about it where things just changed for me was like, um, I don't, do you remember? Um, well, of course you remember, um, January 28th, 19, I think it's like 80, you know, when the space shuttle blew up. Of course. Of okay, course. So yeah, I, I was, mean, uh, I was a sophomore at Fairfield in Connecticut. So I was actually right across from, from you on Long Island. We were right across from you okay. on Long Island Sound. Okay. So, um, that day I will never forget. Um, my father had, had passed away. I think, um, this was like the year prior. And my mom was sick, you know, all the time. And, I, and I, my brother was not, I mean, he, he wasn't available. So I just, like I said, felt so alone. And how am I going to survive? And I didn't know how, you know, I just, it's just such a scary, lonely feeling to just not know how to navigate through life. Enough as being a teenager alone, but just kind of figuring this all out. And I'll never forget that that day changed my life. So my mom was sick at the time. And she, when she would get sick, she was paranoid. So she didn't want us going to school. And so she, and I knew by then, I was 14 years old, like, don't go to school because she'll just end up coming there and it'll be a whole scene. So I stayed home from school. We watched the space shuttle and my mom was on the couch and she said, the space shuttle is going to blow up. Like, she, And I grew, I thought she predicted it. It was so crazy. But now I know it's just, that's paranoia. You just expect the worst. Right. So, because then it blows up. So then that night, the pre President Reagan gave a speech and... It's like he saved my life. So I will never forget his speech. He said that the future is not for the faint-hearted. The future is for the brave. And, and we don't give up. And this is just, you know, we keep going and we persevere. And I'm watching him like it was my father speaking to me maybe or one of my coaches. So when you say what kept me coping, I was an athlete and I played sports. And that made me feel normal. Um, and that, I mean, it just was like this call to action. And I have never forgotten that that happened. I've never forgotten those astronauts because I feel like in a way they saved my life. They gave their life and they'll never know it. And that's the thing is like, we get to give the meaning to things in our life. We get to choose the meaning. And I gave it this meaning that I need to, I'm going to just do well in school and do well with my sports and I'm going to just find a way to to survive wow I mean that's you know there's there's the adage right that our beliefs you know our, our thoughts drive our beliefs and our beliefs generate our emotions and our emotions generate our feelings which drive our behaviors that generate results and you had this shift in in this event you know and all of a sudden you know your beliefs changed and and your view of the world is unsafe and scary and that you couldn't cope you know and, and I think we could all be we, we all have a chance to be Ali's Ronnie Ronald Reagan we all have our chance to be somebody else's yes. Ronald Reagan or somebody's space shuttle astronaut we don't we don't we may not know it at the time and so what an incredible uh, catalyst for you to find a sliver of hope and I think when we talk about resilience you know I think the 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 research proves out that really the most resilient people in the world always had one person that believed in them. So you found these families that you recreate, you created your own sense of safety, right? You had attached yourself now to sport to feel normal. And you had this inspiration from this talk that, that, that was deep seated in you. And that propelled you from where you were into the next phase of your life. It's remarkable. Yes. It just at least got me just keep putting that foot, one foot in front of the other. And that's the thing is just, and I think I started to realize like I, 
I can create my village. So I have always been that person because I didn't have the role models. And I've just, there's just always been something inside me that's just been optimistic, even though I would get sad and disappointed, certainly, and, and ask the why me and all of that. Um, but I would watch the inspirational movies and in, I would just search for inspiration everywhere. And it's almost like you just create this village to go to, you know, the quotes that, that keep you going, the music, sports changes our state and made me feel better being around my friends. So it's just like knowing anything, just grasping for anything to keep going until you just take that next step. You know, let's pa- let's pause on that for a second. I don't want to fast forward, but there's such a there's such a nugget. That, I mean, such a huge nugget of gold right there. Because, in contrast, your mother let, let's use the term hunting for lack of a better term. The pessimist or or paranoia of your mother's mental health allowed her to look and hunt for the negative. And and sure enough, you know, we know may not positive may or may not work, but we know negative always works negatively. And so when you look for the bad. You're always going to see the bad. You're going to, as you said, we give meaning to things. And so you found a different light, which was to hunt the good things, you know, in, in the music, in the affirmational quotes, in the stories. And, you know, for anybody who's listening, who's who's struggling, you know, we do have that power now of, of, of choosing to hunt the good things or or to hunt the bad things. But whichever you hunt, you you will find. And I'm, I'm I mean, amazed at that age. What a lifeline that was for you. Yes. And you're absolutely right. I think that's the thing is I must have, I think about it because sometimes I wonder how I survived. Sure. Of course. I wonder how I didn't choose certain roads or how I, how I, how, how did I make it? And I believe and that I, I mean, I believe that we all have a destiny and it was, and I'm sure we'll get to this part of my story, but I just believe that, you know, we were given our lives for a reason and I was given what I got because I'm supposed to do something with it. And that helped me later on in life, even look at my story or, you know, my life and go, I can't, I mean, I can't, I wish I could have the healthy mom that I want and need and the dad to come back and the brother that I, but it's like, if I had, I learned, I learned kind of to blame effect, effectively later in life that if I had what I wanted, I wouldn't have become the woman that I became and the coach that I am. And so I decided to believe that I got what I got to help other people. And that brings light to my darkness. That gives purpose and meaning to my life. And that's always what I go back to is because you're right. It's like whatever we focus on, we're going we're gonna to get. And it, if I focus on all my disappointments, I suffer. And I have to constantly remind myself because I still do it, of course, right? There's still disappointment and sadness greatly. And I just remind myself, Ali, you're choosing to suffer right now. And it's hard. It's hard. Like, it's, you know, I tell other people, but then when it's yourself, and it's like, I am choosing to suffer. And so it's just choosing that thought that makes you feel good, even just like little by little, um, like you said, it's just um, finding the good. So you found sport, and here you are now. These formidable years, I mean, I think for a young woman especially, I really like to as, as I said, we've had amazing, courageous, and vulnerable women like yourselves on. And, for, and I think for women, that adolescent time, you had a good group of friends. You had found sport. You know, how did you maneuver those 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 adolescent years? Did, had you moved out here now? Yeah. So what happened is, um, when, once my father passed away, um, I was in, I believe, seventh grade, and 
so we had to move to either Florida or California where each my mom had two brothers and they one lived here and one lived in Florida and someone had to look after my mom and so um, we decided to come out here and my brother came out before us because he needed to he my mom couldn't take care of him anymore and so we moved out here on Christmas Eve 1996 like I said you don't forget that and I was in ninth grade and that was the thing Charlie is like we came out here and we were supposed to move out here before high school started and I actually wanted to move because I just saw like a fresh start nobody will know who I am nobody will know that I have the quote-unquote crazy mom um, because that's what I called her at the time and you know I just as much as I didn't want to leave my friends I just wanted to move on a fresh start where nobody knew me and so we ended up not moving when we were supposed to because my mom was like such a so afraid to move so I started high school and I was playing soccer I played soccer since I'm five years old and basketball and in California they're they're different they're the same season so I played soccer in ninth grade in New York and then we inevitably had to move so we moved during Christmas break of ninth grade oh wow and it was so mortifying for me because I believe it or not was so shy I mean I grew up I mean I was shame and stigma and just afraid to speak and I was just couldn't it was so painful so painful I understand you know what it's like to just feel like you just have no like that horrible feeling of having no one to sit with at lunch and no one to talk to and no friends and you're just so afraid to be in your own skin you just want to disappear um so I ended up starting to play basketball, but I had to choose. I didn't know. So that was like a big, that was another loss <laughs> for me was losing um, a sport. So, but yeah, sports is what has always been an outlet for me one way or another. Well, you, you find, I mean, I think sport for, for a lot of people can be a solace because you have that sense of team. You have a coach, you know, hopefully a, a, at least a, a coach who's, who's more of a leader and can fill a certain role in your life. And, and you have some predictability. Practice starts at a certain time. Practice ends at a certain time. We practice for this long. We have games on these days. I mean, in this world yes. that was yours of chaos, you know, you could see how being drawn to something with, with a lot of predictability you know, that you already had an aptitude for and a, and, a, and a bit of interest in, you'd gravitate to that. And I think, you know, it's important for, for people to understand that there are healthy ways for us to cope with and create the, a, a life that we wanted. It's funny, I think, as you and I look back, we give names to things now as we're older, but we didn't know what it was then. Just And it was survival for you. I mean, you, and that's why I think it's important you know, that, that people understand that the most resilient person they ever need to meet is actually sitting in the chair they're in right now because we are the most resilient. We just don't tend to look back at what we've been through and give ourselves credit. We want to look at what we're not instead of, you know, I got through that. What was it about me? Oh, I, I sought out community and connection. I was a good friend. I worked through my shyness. I was an athlete, so I had a, some skill that I developed. And and I'll use those things to get through the next event. But we, we often just dismiss our resilience is luck or anyone could have got through it. And it's just not true. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. So, um, but, but sports and athletics took on a, a, a different meaning for you after a while. Huh? I mean, it became, it was a little bit of a coping and a little bit of an escape. And then it took on a whole new meaning for you. Where did, where did that kind of shift happen? Yeah. So that's the thing is like sports is 
such a healthy outlet for all those reasons you described is that team camaraderie and being part of something. And like I said, I, I excelled at, at sports. I was a great athlete. And so for me, it made me feel normal. And that's the thing I, that I just realized is that I'm getting attention, not for being part of a, you know, the crazy family, but just this normal, like this great athlete. And of course that we love that feeling and feeling of acceptance. We want to feel like we belong. That's, you know, such an important feeling. And so um, after high school, when, you know, team sports ended and because of my family situation, although I, you know, I always say like, what if, like, what if my dad was alive? I probably would have played college sports or, you know, we can't do the what ifs. So I started running um, because I was going to college, but there was no team sport option for me. So kind of team sports were over um, at that point. So I started running and I fell in love with running and started doing 5Ks and 10Ks and half marathons and marathons and triathlon. I mean, one thing, it just kept going. And again, so when you say it took me down a a road and sports is such a great coping skill and such a great outlet until it's not until you realize that there could be you know negative consequences to it and for me it turned into overuse injuries um, that um, I'm just recently after all these years it's been a recent revelation for me to admit to myself and now I'm like, I'm just going to share this because how else am I going to help other people is like, oh, my gosh, it became an addiction for me. Yeah. You know, wow. Thank you so much. I mean, it that I think when, you know, when we talk about addiction or we talk about unhealthy engagement in something, people think about the, you know, kind of the the Vegas addictions, you know, the Sin City, the the drugs, the alcohol, the sex, the gambling, you know, but but we can become addicted to shopping we can become addictive to exercising when it when it detaches us from reality when it when we're using it in unhealthy ways i mean i always tell people about my own battle with substance abuse it's really not about what i drank you know because i didn't drink the same thing everyone else drank and it's not really about how much i drank it was always about why i drank and i was drinking to escape i was really taken aback and i don't think you and i share this alone many others do that idea of if I can go somewhere else I'll be somewhere else you know I grew up in Maine and I'm in California that's a lot of that was a lot of versions of myself I wanted to create and I had that same image of every summer you know wanting to unzip my skin and walk out and be faster stronger but I could just you know if I went here no one would know what happened to me and you know I think the cautionary tale there is wherever you go there you are right and so there is no escaping us until we get good with us but you were trying to do that in sport allowed that and then I'm sure with exercising as you said everyone exercise i'm just running i'm 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 not you're not seeing were there any signs besides what you encountered now that you were using it in an unhealthy way to escape i mean did you lose contact with friends did you have any negative consequences associated with your addiction to sport as it grew so it's just so interesting because I look back now and I remember even like I'm thinking as you're talking to me, I remember when, you know, like you said, you would come to my, my class and teach, uh, talk to my college freshmen and tell them your story. And I would teach this unit on addiction and we would talk about how there are no healthy addictions because I would ask them at the beginning of class, like, do you think there are any healthy addictions? And they would always say, 
exercise, studying, like they would make up stuff, drinking water. Like, and the thing is, by definition, there can be no good uh, addiction because there's con- there's negative consequences. So if there's negative consequences, and even then I would read them this checklist of negative consequences. And I'm looking, even thinking just right now as we're talking about this, I was, you know, we have, there's a, there's a denial phase, right? We're in right. denial. Yes. Even then I was in such denial because here's the thing is like, there's not a body part on me. I think that I haven't had surgery on. Wow. Like that is not something to be proud of. Right. And it's taking me this long to, to realize this, that that is a negative consequence. Sure. Right. Yeah. Amazing. Right. And so when you say like, there's a story that I can tell you that is, was so like now to look back on it, are you, so, um, it was, I was this, doing the Santa Barbara triathlon. I was, I think I was in my early twenties. Maybe it was when I first started doing triathlons or a few years into it. And I had this fantasy (laughs) is like, like I talk about, it's like growing up, I wanted to be an Olympic athlete because I just thought that will just make me like, it doesn't matter about this crazy family. If I'm an Olympic athlete with a, with with a medal around my neck, with the, with the national anthem playing, like there's nothing better to me than that. So I grew up with these fantasies of wanting to be this Olympic athlete. And so I was doing triathlons and it was, they were going to have triathlon be an Olympic sport for the first time. And I thought, I'm going to do this. Like, this is how like my brain worked, like that I thought I could actually do this. And so I wanted to be like one of, you know, in the first triathlon. So I was having um, problems with my hand, with my hands and my, anyways, I wasn't supposed to do the race. I was told by the doctors to not do the triathlon. Um, And uh, so I (laughs) snuck out of the house at 4 a.m. with my bike, went to do the triathlon. Um, It's a 34-mile bike ride. And and this is so long ago that this is when the brakes were, like, not at the handlebar. Or, you know, you had to, like... And so I I lost all grip strength in my hands. So I couldn't change my gears. And I'm using the palm, like, my palm on my hand to change my gears. And then at the end, I finished the race. At the end of the race, I couldn't even start my car. I couldn't even turn the key to start the car because I had no grip strength in my hands. I had to ask a stranger, this is going to sound really weird, but could you just start my car for me? And even like back then, looking back, I didn't think that there was really like, oh, I'm just injured. So I ended up having two, I had, it was nerve entrapment in my elbows, kind of like carpal tunnel, but in my elbows. And so I had double elbow surgery and I look back now and it's like, don't you think that that was kind of a sign that you just you know so like my mind was just like i'm gonna do this no matter what right because this is how i feel good right and 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 this is how i cope this is how i feel normal i mean you said it you said it all the way back to long island you know i want to feel normal i live in a crazy house i live in an unpredictable house i want to feel normal and if that means i have to run with broken elbows and and frozen hands to feel normal, I'll hurt myself. And yes. but but I mean again, revisionist history, right? We look through these lenses and we go, wow, you know. I mean, how tra- and that I think a lot of people will appreciate the vulnerability and appreciate, you know, looking at the unhealthy attachment to things we're using to avoid or normalize life that are causing us actual pain. Yes. You know. Yes. Wow. Um, so so. 
transition us to the next chapter. I mean, cause, cause now we've, we, we move into a period where, you know, obviously you've got children and, mm-hmm. and you, you get into a relationship and then you become a single mom. And so yes. life takes on a new chapter for you. Yes. And what was that like? So, yes, I've been a single mom now for, it's going to be 11 years next month, which I, I mean, you know, time passes and you just like, I look back and go, how did I do that? And you just do it. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to talk about that because I think that, that, that's, probably something a lot of especially the people that rely on you deal with is that feeling of being overwhelmed with the uncertainty of of being a single parent and and what that means and how am I going to how am I going to do all of this and and I know um, that that's become one of your passions and so what are the lessons that you learned I mean as overwhelming as it as it seemed you know you're now um, 11 years on the other side of it you know what are the things that seemed so overwhelming and what are the things that helped you kind of get to where you are now. Yeah, so I remember at the time when I was even just kind of contemplating this being in this situation, and I I will never forget this. I had a friend who told me, um, you, you'll figure it out. You will figure it out. And it sounds like, yeah, the, so I talk about these five words that I talk about um, of getting, like it's like a five-word mantra that, that I just have taken with me that sounds like it's not a big deal, like, oh, you'll, you'll just figure it out. Right. And but I really embraced it and I never forgot that. And I it's really so powerful because I do believe and I, I talk about this, too, is there's that book, Everything is Figure Outable by Maria Forleo. And I was saying that way before when I, to my students. I used to tell my students, you know, everything's figure outable. We, and, and so they, they would th- thought that I made it up. And I'm like, I didn't make it up, but it's true. Um, and it really is true is one way or another. I mean, when you think about all the moments that we've gotten through in our life, we've gotten through them one one way or another, and we will get through all the moments of our life. It's like you, that resilience you talk about. We were born with it, but we forget about it. And so it's just that, yeah, you will figure it out. And so back then, if I there's a moment that I remember, another one of my just like, you know, I don't know aha moments or defining moments is I remember sitting on the floor of the bathroom sobbing after, you know, I had moved out with my with my children. My my son was two and a half, not even threes in diapers. My daughter's six years old. We had a, our dog at the time. And I'm on the floor sobbing, asking how am I gonna do this? And I and and doing what many of us do, why me? Like I was doing the why me. Like why me, God, like you know, could I at least have had a healthy mom or a health, like at least one one family member? Um, this was like a huge moment for me when I just decide something inside me said you need to ask a better question because the thing is is whatever we ask we're going to get an answer so if we ask bad questions we're going to get bad answers so something inside me told me to because I always believe that God gives us what we can handle and then I thought that's not I was just so in that place like that's not good enough for me I need more I need to know and so I chose to believe in that moment that God gave me what I can handle that means he's gonna that I have the strength to get through this that I get to it's like I can't change any of this but I get to decide what to do with it and it just felt so empowering scary I still don't know how but I just felt like I get to decide what to do with this and I decided to ask, instead of why me, why not me? Like, wh- who do I think I am to not get this life? And my mom, I want to tell you this story about my mom, because I want to just like honor her memory as much as possible. 
um, is that, you know, she was sick so much of my life, but she was so amazing. And so I have so much guilt about our relationship and what transpired. But when she was well, I mean, she gave me nuggets that I've kept with me forever. And she, oh, I mean, we were like the poor family, obviously the crazy family, but she always told me to look at the people below me. I never forgot that. Like, and she meant by that is like, there's always someone, you know, we have a roof over, you know, just the basic things that we like tell our kids. Yeah, like, just but but gratitude, so, a little bit of gratitude. Yes, yeah. and she always told me that. And I, it stayed with me. And I appreciated that even when I didn't. But that helps me to this day that how blessed I am. And, and that there's all like, that's the thing is like, when we're not feeling good, if I focus on everything that I'm missing or lost in my life, I'm going to suffer and be sad. And we're here to feel good. And so it's just taking one, what can I feel good about right in this moment? Just being here, just, you know, having two legs and two arms is just, I'm good. My kids are healthy. I'm good. Done. So if you ask disempowering questions, you'll find disempowering answers. Absolutely. Amazing. And and so you, in that moment, I think this is so valuable to, to note, you decided to ask a different question. Yes, that's and the thing. It's like amazing. I was like, why not me for the good things and the bad things in my life? And I still to this day, because we're human, where we go back that, you know, we're feeling depressed, anxious, whatever we're feeling. I just, it's tools in the toolbox. It's tools in the toolbox that just are there, but we have to use them. And so I just say, why not me? And um <laughs> and kick the shit out of being a single mom I mean, and what does that mean it means i got up and made lunch it means i got up and made dinner it means i figured out where i could work and how to work it means i i figured it out and 11 years later you figured it out and I now did. you're helping other people figure it out which i think is is remarkable because it, it can be overwhelming um yes and when you say that it's like yeah i mean my kids have this saying about me is like always late but worth the wait and <laughs> i mean it's so much better 11 years later but i i I probably shouldn't tell this story about how I got three speeding tickets in a week when I first was a single mom, just, you know, rushing to get the kids to school on time. And yes, it was so overwhelming. It's all, it's so overwhelming. But again, you know, it's like we can look at the speeding tickets or we can look at getting the kids <laughs> yes. to school on time. And it's yes. like, you know, if you're out there and you're, and you're going to stay focused on the speeding tickets, you're going to find what you're not. But if you're focused on, I got my kids to school and I picked them up and I made their lunch, then you'll see what that, that you are a good mom. And that's really, I think, you know, what I take out of that sliver of your story is just what good there was in, in that in that journey and, and where you sit today. Um, so tell us a little bit about your transition back to healthy exercise, because I know as part of your mission to help moms with their muscles and their mind, mm -hmm. you've, you've now come back to a very healthy relationship with exercise and you know what healthy exercise looks like and you know how to use that and, and where did how did that come back to you as something you could um, use in your toolbox and, and not abuse so to speak yeah so I think I think what it first started to be a switch for me and a shift for me is when I became a mom is because I think everything changes when you become a mom and it's just like you want to be I wanted to be a role model and so I realized that, and they, they become the priority. So while racing was still something I enjoyed and was important, it wasn't, I didn't, I'm now a mom. That's the most important role to me. So that was my worthiness and my goodness. And, and so 
but it's funny, and you know this, that I just am coming off of these last two, I say last because I'm done. It's like these last, I had Achilles surgery almost two years ago and then knee surgery. And I put that Achilles surgery off for seven years, partly because it's such an extravaganza and partly because I didn't want to face that. Am I still that person? And the thing is, it's, it was a cumulative injury from having done all of that in the past, right? So all the sports, all the races. So now I have this injury that needs to be attended to. And I was like, I didn't, if I, I felt in my mind, if I have surgery, not only is it going to be an extravaganza, but then am I still that person? I can't be that person. Um, so I just got over that. I was like, I have to inevitably you know, do this and you're not that person anymore and you do have balance and you're, and so I think that that first shift was, was, yeah, becoming the mom. And then now it's just, you come to a place where what matters most to you and what matters most to me is if it feels good to exercise, but I know that I don't need to do it to stand out or be excellent or feel good or, you know, belong. So, so maybe said a different way you're, you're not chasing an outcome anymore you're 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 in the moment you're you exercise in the moment for the moment not not to be something you're alley b yes and you know what feels so good charlie is like when i go out for runs now and i can finally run again and not it's oh, I'm just so glad yeah and it's and it is for my mind more than anything just because i truly enjoy just being outdoors and the feeling that i get from from running because I can't just give it up. I don't need to compete, but it feels it's mental health for me. And but it's so refreshing and such a great place to be when I don't need to just say I'm going out for like a run and I have to run the entire time. I run, I walk, like I just am out there. And it's just like, "Oh, wow, this is freedom. This is freedom to just not have to have like you said an outcome." Like I'm just out here to feel good and get exercise, and it's so good for my mind. It is, it's a drug of choice for me, but now it's a, it's, you know, in a healthy way. Yeah, you found you found where it fits. I think um, you'll relate to this because it was framed differently by one of our our uh, our guests recently. Said it's not the pursuit of happiness. The pursuit is happiness. It's the daily pursuit of life. We're not going anywhere. We're not looking to achieve anything. It's just the daily pursuit of whatever it is we want to do that day is where the happiness lives it lives in the moments and that's it sounds like what you experience now when you run is not a future outcome or or the metal or or the normal it's just I just run for my mind now I run for my health and fitness and my well-being and it's so so you've changed your relationship with it yes 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 and I think I think another part of it that was huge for me was when I, I had this realization that I don't think I, w- I was meant to be the athlete standing on the podium or achieving those goals. I was meant to help others re- be the best that they can be. So when I started, you know, training people and coaching people and, and coaching runners and helping them achieve their goals or just helping, you know, um, like older people who don't even think they can run complete a 5K, like that's my greatest passion is helping people see what's possible when they believe in themselves. So I realized that I think I was put here to help other people believe in themselves and that I don't need to get the medals or the awards. It feels so good for me to help other people see what's possible. So you've, you've found to live by a principle of humility. 
you've you've taken yourself and become less important than the cause and that's i think you know when we live by when we're kind of in that in that addictive mindset we live by preference you know what we want to do and and when we become mature and healthy we live by principles and and that's what i see and can I put you on the spot? Can you can you give us the Alley B ABCs of overcoming? Because I know you've got your your top three things that people because again, you know we suffer in silence from so much, and you've shown you've shown such a bright light on on what overcoming can actually look like. So what are the I usually ask people the top three, but with you I'm going to ask the AB. What are the ABCs of of overcoming? You know that seemingly low dark spot that that so many of us can get into for you yeah I appreciate that because that's the thing is I learned how to to use my brain and my friends used to call me the beautiful mind and they would say it's not a compliment and I always took it as a compliment and I don't really want to get into this part but like I was kind of diagnosed well, I was diagnosed with ADHD over 10 years ago and it made sense to me at the time and then it didn't and I, I had one, a brain scan that showed it was PTSD, which made so much sense to me, but I do struggle. <laughs> my brain is very special, I call it. And I learned that when I was teaching the college students and even everything, it's helpful for me to categorize it in ABC. Yeah. So it's we're going to we're going to do that. But I'm going to pause because I, I you know, if I showed you my elementary my, my elementary school report cards, they the teachers used up all the red ink in the state of Maine. <laughs> when you have a trauma impacted mind it, like you, I was actually put into special ed mm -hmm. and it wasn't that I was learning disabled and it wasn't that I was ADHD. It was that I had a complex trauma impacted mind, meaning my life like yours was unpredictable yes. when bomb was go to. The, so. Yeah, I mean, okay, you want me to learn my ABCs and my one, two, threes, but I don't know if I'm going to get a meal tonight. I don't know if the hospital, the ambulance is coming. So, you know, I, I just take this moment to educate people on what a post-traumatic stress or a complex trauma brain of an adolescent is dealing with and that we, we, we have to be very careful about throwing around diagnoses and, and medication and not understanding the underlying conditions for kids. Little little sidetrack for um, some awareness around true mental health and childhood trauma. Yes, I appreciate that because I think in my case, you know, we all have our own paths and journeys and in a, in, a, in a good way or bad way or whatever, there wasn't time for anybody to pay attention to me. I was the healthy person in the family. Right. And so, you so know, I look back you now. Filling a role you weren't qualified yes, for. Yes, and so there was no attention to what I was struggling with at the time with my own brain. So I just learned to adapt to it. And then, you know, here I am now and I still like it's just that hypervigilance that I that I live with that I'm, you know, working on overcoming all the time and and social anxiety that people wouldn't even believe that I have. That is just everyday thing. I It's like I mean, I have social anxiety and hypervigilance. And for me to say it out loud is like I just I really just said that out loud. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I guess that's why I'm here. Of course. <laughs> wow. Yeah, we need to normalize these conversations. Mm -hmm. You know, I, 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 I still suffer. I wake up in the morning and I've got this overwhelming sense of anxiety that washes over me. But yes. by the time I pray and meditate, it, it dissipates. Yes. But it's, 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 uh, we're progress, not perfection, you know, getting a little yes. better every day. So, so hit us, okay. Allie B, okay. with the ABCs of okay. overcoming. So I think that A is a kind of a double A is that first we just always in anything is having awareness. It's just awareness of our current truth of our, I guess it's a triple, a, the actual truth of our life. So, and I, and I tell people when I'm speaking and coaching, it's like there's no judgment allowed. Like we have enough challenges. 
I want to just drop kick shame and judgment off our planet. Like I feel like that is going to save so much in the world if we can just drop kick shame and judgment off our it's like we are all doing the best that we can with what we know and if we just stop and go we are the way we are for a reason we say and do the things we do for a reason and so I think having awareness of the actual truth of your life without judgment of just what's working what's not working and how can I close the gap from where I am and where I want to go and then it's having acceptance of the present moment and I just was talking about this and it's just acceptance in this moment that all is well and how it should be um, and that, you know, just acceptance of, of the situation is, is very powerful and peaceful. So it's just having awareness of the actual truth of your life without judgment and acceptance in the present moment. So that's the A. And then B is something I like to call bracing yourself. So um, I'm looking at your books that you have here because you and I are both really um, into the sports performance and the mindset. Um, so there's a book that I read called, um, gosh, now it's one of my favorite books. And now that I'm here, um, How Bad Do You Want It? It's by Matt Fitzgerald. He's a running coach. And um, this is where I learned about bracing yourself. Um, so bracing yourself is just like bracing yourself for whatever is going to happen, right? So I think that especially now we're growing up with with kids and you know we, we always want the to protect them but like like you talk about resilience is like part of our jobs for ourselves and for our children is to let them figure things out and and knowing it's kind of I'm gonna go all over the place with this one but you know when we would take our kids when they're little for their um, their vaccines when they're right and I don't know some will say like don't worry it's not gonna hurt it's not gonna hurt yes it is right it's going to hurt but you're going to be okay. You are going to be fine. You're, it's going to hurt and it will pass and you're going to be okay. And I just kind of use that as an analogy of just life. Like life hurts. There's just, it's not going to be perfect. Like there's going to be inevitable challenge, adversity. Um, and, but we have everything inside of us to get through it. That, that, so when you can brace yourself for things in life and so I when I coach it's like looking and we do like teach people to do this like for monthly like every month it's like what can you expect what what are you bracing yourself for in life right now and know that and like you talk about the coping skills is like how how can you prepare for it so that you can be prepared for it um, it's just a very mature way to look at things instead of just expecting things are gonna because when you brace yourself you can expect that there will be challenge then you can accept it, going back to the acceptance, and then you can overcome it, right? Yeah. So so it's a whole, that's my B, is like brace yourself for the challenges of life because they are going to come. But know that you have everything inside of you. You've gotten through all the moments of your life until now, and you will get through all the moments. Because like, I, like when I was teaching those college students that you saw, Charlie, it was like the ones, you know, again, is like the ones who had to struggle and had some adversity in life fared much better than the students who everything was easy for them. So it's like, yes, we want things to be easy for our children uh, or we don't, you know, we don't, we want them to be strong. So when they have to overcome, it instills confidence in them that like, oh my gosh, I got through that. And it downloads that confidence for the next time because as we see, life is uncertain and, um, uh, and so when we brace ourselves for those challenges, we can overcome them. 
Wow, that's great. Yeah, and, and, and such a, it doesn't deny reality. You know, it accepts the, the reality. It's like I think when my son was growing up, we went through a bout of night terrors, and we were instructed very clearly to um, not tell him there's nothing to be afraid of, you know, but say, do you want to walk around the house? Do you want to look in the closet? Be, because you don't want to deny his feelings and, yes. and, and somehow, you know, have him feel that what he's feeling isn't real. You're feeling afraid, but but what is it based on? You think there's someone in the closet? Let's check out the closet. Hey, you want to get under the bed? Let's look under the bed. You want to go down and lock the doors? Well, lock, what can we do to help you feel yes. safe as opposed to don't feel right. afraid? Because we, we tend to have this desire to push down and avoid, but negative feelings tell us something. They're, they're a bit of a signal light. And the C. Okay, the C. What? Um, the C is choices. Okay, so the C is that that's the thing is like choices about your about our C again doubles like choices about the circumstances of our life. Um, and there's an actual equation for this. Is like <laughs> do not make this up. Like there's an equation for suffering. There's an actual. It's um, somebody named Shinzen. It's called Shinzen's equation, and it says that the circum that the circumstances of our life times resistance equals suffering. Meaning that if we su- if we resist the circumstances of our life, we are going to suffer. And so it's about making choices and we make choices. Every single one of us makes choices every single day that impact the quality of our life. And I talked about it a little bit when, I, when you were asking me questions before. And so we, we choose to focus on what we have or what we don't have. We choose to focus on, um, you know, the past, the present, or the future. We choose to focus on um, what's missing in our life, right? And so if we choose to focus on what we can't control and what we don't have, we're going to suffer. But if we choose to suffer on what we do have in our life and what we can control and stay centered in that present moment, we're going to feel better. So that's what is so important is deciding to, to have that way of thinking, right? That's just, we decide, because that's the thing is we do choose to suffer. And again, I, I talked about this, and for me, I have to remind myself too, like anybody else, Ali, you're choosing to suffer, right? Oh, yeah. And luckily, I have that that tool that's like, and that's the thing is using the tools. Like when we know them, is like when I'm coaching, is like you, I can give you the tools, you have to use them. And it's just like when we train our muscles and we have to keep doing repetitions, it's the same thing with the mindset tools. We have to keep repetition 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 and just till it becomes who we are so now i catch myself very quickly when i'm suffering yes and i'm like ali you're suffering you are choosing to focus on what you're what's missing what you're disappointed about what what you can't control and then it's just a switch goes off and i just start i just grab the thought that makes me feel good that i can control this i look at all that i can i do have this and i stay centered in that present moment and it just, it feels better. And we are here to feel good. That's why we're here. Yeah, so true. The ABCs of overcoming. And I think the other incredible nugget today was to ask yourself the right question, you know, when you're looking for the right answer. Um, I've been inspired by your resurgence, you know, by your return to to coaching and being, you know, launching your your framework and, and seeing all the things you're doing. And we'll, we'll obviously f- note all of that um, in the podcast and in the, in the show notes, but can you just maybe tell everybody where they can find you? I know they're going to want to click as soon as they get off of this and hear more of your wonderful ABCs of life as you're teaching us every day, which I appreciate. How can people find you? Allie B. Allie B coaching. Very simple. And I do um, want, um, so my name is Allie. So it's A L Y B coaching. And, um, 
A-L-Y is stands for always love yourself. And yeah. that's the thing that was like a work in progress for me. And that's it's so important that we have that self-love and self-care. And so that's why I'm here to remind people to always love yourself. Well, the world needs you immensely now. You know, um, it's a privilege to, to have you as part of a, a little bit of my inner circle and to have been empowered by you as I was starting to, to speak openly about my struggles. And to have you here today has been amazing. So thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was, I feel so grateful to be here and have this opportunity. 